following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. That's right. We're starting a brand new series today called You Asked For It. We've never done this before, but we asked you to ask us questions that you might have about God, about the Bible, about faith, and and you delivered. By the way, Jesus did the same thing often with his disciples. The disciples would come to him and, and they'd present a topic to him. They'd say, Lord, teach us how to pray, and then he would teach about prayer. And so a lot of times they they would bring a topic to him and he'd say, okay, let's talk about that for a little bit. And so in this series, we're teaching on the things that you wanted to know about most, and I'm honored to kick this thing off. Now, at the end of the series, there were a lot of questions that were submitted uh, that were really good, but they probably didn't justify a 35-minute sermon. Uh, We could probably answer it in about two or three minutes. And so I think at the end of this whole series, uh, Pastors Rex, Brad, and myself will sit on this stage, and we're just going to do rapid fire and go through a whole bunch of questions. That's going to be a really fun one as well. Uh, We're going to get through a lot of questions and answer some of those things that have been, you know, swimming around in those brains of ours. Going to be fun. Going to be fun. Today's question is kind of a tough one. It's one that you've probably been asked by somebody else in your past. You probably have asked this question yourself. And the question tonight is, why does God allow suffering? Why? Why does God allow suffering? It's a really good question. To help us, we're going to look at John's Gospel. If you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. John's Gospel. We're going to look at chapters 11 and 12, and we're going to bounce around a bit because there's a lot of text to cover, but I do encourage you to read through the entire passages sometime this week in your personal time. They will bless you. They're two of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. So let's just begin, jump in, in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, and this is how it reads. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now I realize most of you have heard the story of Lazarus. If you haven't, you're in for a treat tonight. But um, uh, most of us have, have heard the story of Lazarus. But even if you've heard it a thousand times, I would love for you to listen with fresh ears. Uh, because I do think God wants to teach us something new. But Lazarus is, is, is Jesus' friend. He knows Jesus. Jesus loves him. He's close with his family. But now he lays sick. And so the sisters of Lazarus get this idea, hey, Jesus is a healer. Let's summon him and see if he can intervene in some significant way. It's a pretty good plan. If I knew Jesus, I'd call him too. So that's the plan. They call out to Jesus. Look at verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory. Let me say that again. It's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, I just want you to remember this verse. I want you to tuck this one in your pocket because this is a big one, okay? It's for God's glory. Well, first of all, he says, this sickness will not end in death, which is odd that he said that because it did. And then he says, by the way, this whole thing, this whole sickness, it's for God's glory. It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Like the whole reason this is happening, there's a a bigger story called the glory of God. And yeah, Lazarus is sick and and we're going to deal with that. But this isn't the bigger story of God, the glory of God. And this is for God's glory. It's so that God's son may be glorified 
through it. That's the why of this is happening. Verse 5. Maybe my favorite verse in the, in the entire chapter. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And here's why I love that. Because when you're reading this in your own personal time, a lot of time you just brush by that. Oh, Jesus loved them. But this is huge. Because we know what happens to Lazarus. And in the days to come, I'm sure these sisters probably questioned, do you really love us? And so Jesus puts this verse in there to underscore and reinforce, I love you. And he loves you too. He loves you too. I know there have probably been times where you prayed to God and he didn't answer right away or he didn't answer in the way that you desired and you've thrown your hands in the air and said, you must not love me. And he goes, no, 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 I do love you. You can question me, but don't ever question my love. I love you. I love you. And they needed to hear that because of what they heard in verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And I'm sure the disciples were like, do you love him? (laughs) I mean, if you love him, we should go. But you say you love him, but you want to stay here for two more. That's kind of confusing to them. I love him, but but we're not leaving. Skip down to verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. So Jesus knows. I mean, he knows everything, obviously. He knows Lazarus has died, and he's going to resurrect him from the grave. So he knows this, and and, and he's going to go wake him up. Uh, But the disciples are kind of confused. Look at verse 12. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So again, the disciples, you know, we give them a hard time, but they're just like in the moment. And they're like, okay, I'm just trying to track with you, Lord, so... He called you, and he said he was sick, and then we stayed. And now he's sleeping, and you want to go wake him up. But isn't sleep good when you're sick? Let's just let him sleep it off, right? And so they're kind of confused. Verse 14, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that, there's another so that, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Okay? So the first so that, John chapter 11, verse 4, he says, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Like, this is why this is happening. It's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified. And and, and at the same time, I'm glad we weren't there so that you may believe. Maybe we're understanding part of the answer of the why God allows suffering. I want you to believe something, guys. I'm going to take you to the next level of belief with me. You know how confusing that must have been for the disciples? I mean, we know the end of the story. They don't. So they're just going, what? (laughs) He's dead? We knew about it. We could have gone and you could have healed him and now you're glad? You just said you're glad that he died? I'm very confused, right? It's not making any sense to any of them except for Thomas. Look at verse 16. Then Thomas Also known as Didymus, I would rather go by Thomas, but that's just me. (laughs) Said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So Thomas is trying to piece this whole thing together and going, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) I I, I think I got it. If it's good that he's dead, 
so that you can go wake him up. Let's just all die then. Not physical death, but I'm tracking with you, Lord. Like if it's good that he's dead and you're going to go now and wake him up, let's all die together. I know death is not something fun that, that we like to talk about, but maybe we too leave here with this um, thought process and attitude of saying, you know what, Let, let's just all die then. Not physical deaths, not physical deaths, but die to the things of this world that are anything less than Jesus. And just say, you know what, I'm just going to die to those things and I'm going to leverage my life for something more. Leverage my life for something huge. Le- leverage my life for a bigger story, the glory of God. I don't want to play this small part. I, I, wanna, I want my life to matter. I want my life to count. I want my purpose to be for this bigger story, this bigger canvas that's being painted on all around us. Look at verse 34. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept, which is just an interesting, that's one of the shortest verses in the Bible, that in Job 3, 2. It's very short, two words. Jesus wept, and I love that he even knew the end result, and yet that didn't stop him from mourning with his family. Right? Just know that Jesus is with you in the midst of that suffering. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Now, there was a Jewish belief that after three days, the body, the dead body, would begin to decompose. And I think that's part of the reason, Jesus obviously knew that, I think it's part of the reason he said, let's wait till day four, till we go to the tomb. Because all of you think that he's starting to decompose in there, so we're going to wait till day four. And, And Martha has to be exasperated at this point. I mean, think about it. Again, we know the end of the story. She didn't. And so she's like, we called on you. I know you love him. I know you love me. We called on you and you didn't come. And now you get here. And the first thing you want to do is you want to go to the tomb. So we're here at the tomb. And instead of saying, God, thank you for this life or saying something nice about my brother, the first thing you say is roll away the stone. What do you want to see, Jesus? You want to go in there and make sure that we wrapped him up correctly? He stinks. There's an odor. He's been in there for four days. He's already started to decompose. What are you trying to do? Just let him rest in peace. Verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see, here it is again, the glory of God. It is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Hey, if you just believe, you're going to see the glory of God. So they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen. I I just picture him kind of looking kind of like a mummy. You know, he's wrapped in all this gauze and, you know, he's coming out. And he's got this cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, we just kind of see this picture of, like, this all happening. But 
I think this could maybe have been comical. Like he comes out of the grave. And so you got this big crowd. They're all watching this stuff go down. And they're just like. You know, and it's just there's a little bit, a little bit of shock factor, and we don't really know. I mean, we kind of read it and make this story beautiful, but he might have come out, you know, and he bumps into a rock because he got the cloth on his face, and he stumbles into somebody. So Jesus says, "Take off the grave clothes, right? Maybe he needed to like let him free. He's alive. Lazarus is alive." <laughs> Now, verse 45 troubles me. It troubles me. So this all takes place in, in Bethany. The Passover feast was uh, about to happen. And Bethany is just a couple of miles from Jerusalem. So there's a lot of people in town for the Passover that are more people than normal that are in Bethany witnessing this whole miracle go down. There's a big crowd of people around this tomb. And look at verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. This is why that bothers me. It says the word many, not all. You're telling me there was somebody at that tomb that said, oh, I know I was there. I saw the whole thing go down. In fact, I actually knew Lazarus. And when he died, I went to the family's house. I mourned with the family. I saw him. I mean, it was open casket. And uh, he was dead. He's dead. And, and then they put him in there, and he actually was already starting to stink a little bit. I mean, he's dead. And then this Jesus guy comes, and he says, move the stone away. And so they rolled the stone away, and he said, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out, and he, he's alive. I, I just don't know if this Jesus guy's God. Many believed, but there were some that didn't. I don't want that to be your story. I, I don't want you to get this close and say, man, I was coming to church on Sunday morning. I was coming to church on Wednesday night, even plugged into a life group. And I'm just not sure this whole Jesus thing is, is God. I, you know, I, I heard the story about him taking on my sins, that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But, but in the wages, the penalty of that sin is death. And he died for my sins and on that cross so that I don't have to die, that I don't have to feel that wrath. I heard all, I just, I just don't know if I believe in all that. I mean, I like Jesus. He's a good teacher. He's got some really good applications I can plug into life. I just, I just don't know that he's God. I don't want that to be your story. Some of these guys, that was their story. And it really bothers me that you could see something like that. Someone come out of the grave and go, uh, I don't know. It was cool. Verse 9 of chapter 12. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, oh, this is good, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests, okay, so now this is becoming a problem now. Because now people are coming not just to see Jesus and hear about this popular guy named Jesus. Now they're coming to see the miracle man, Lazarus, who's in the grave for four days. And so the chief priests are going, this is a problem. Because this whole Jesus is God thing is gaining, gaining some steam and, and we got to stop this. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Good luck with that. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. And, and, and that's what we're really aiming for, church. That's what we're aiming for. 
that people would look at you, they would look at you like they look at Lazarus, they would look at me like they look at Lazarus and go, I, I knew you, man, you, you were dead and now you're alive. You were an addict and now you're not. You were, your marriage was on the rocks and now its foundation is on the rock. Like, I know you, man, and I believe in God because of your life. Matthew 5, 16, I want that on the epitaph of my tombstone. It says, uh, that, that let your good deeds... Uh, I've forgotten the beginning of the verse. Uh, That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That people would see your good deeds. They would see the good works that you do and go, wow. Not, wow, wow. Like they they would praise God because of you. What an awesome testimony that people look at Lazarus and go, wow, you're You're God. That people would look at your life and say, man, I used to know you, man. You You were in the gutter. And God has brought you out, which by the way, by the way, for them to get that kind of reaction, sometimes it takes us to go through maybe even death or divorce or disease or destruction or shame or pain. Maybe that's, again, part of the answer to why does God allow suffering? Because you don't get that kind of reaction if everything's easy. Listen, I, we can pray, God, I want an easy life. I want an easy road. But the truth is more people will, will see Jesus through you if you face the fire. It's just truth. John eleven four, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Let me ask you this question. If Jesus goes when his sisters call him, when Lazarus' sisters call him, if he shows up and he heals Lazarus, does God get glory from the healing? Yes. It's okay. It's okay. It was, yes. But does God get more glory by allowing him to die, stay in the grave till he begins to decompose and raise that guy up from the grave? Does he get more glory? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's for God's glory. So that God's so again, Martha's exasperated, going, Well, I don't understand why you didn't come. And he goes, I'm painting on a bigger canvas, Martha. Like, yeah, I, I could have done that. I could have saved you a long time ago from that situation. You've been praying that mountain you want me to move. But I'm going to let it get real bad. Because it's not about you. It's about the glory of God. And then I'm going to rescue you in such a way. I'm going to bless your life in such a way that everybody's going to look at you. And they're going to know it's not you. It's not, I'm not praising you. Wow, look how far you've come. But wow, look how good God is. That they're going to praise me. It's all for the glory of God. Verse 20, this is so good. I love this. this there's, there's a lot of humor in Scripture. I hope you catch this. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. So again, Passover is taking place. So now they're at Passover. There's a lot of people coming from all over the place to have fun. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. So I just kind of picture this. Again, I'm reading a little bit into the story. So give me some, some creative liberty here. But I just, I see, like these guys, they've come along. They're from Greece. So you ask me, the two Greeks, they show up and like, you know what? Well, we're in town. I mean, we're in town. I've heard about this Jesus guy. Yeah, I know. Heard about all these miracles he's done. I'd, lo- I'd love to meet him. Wouldn't that be cool to meet him? That'd be so, I mean, he's like, woo, that'd be cool. Hey, I, I, I think, I think that's one of his, I think that's one of his guys. I think it's one of his, his followers. Philip, 
Hey, Philip, hey, man, hey, hey, we're from Greece. We've come a long, long way. Uh, you're Jesus guy, right? Yeah, man, we would just, we'd love to meet him. Could you get us backstage access and allow us to meet him, maybe shake his hand, get an autograph, get a photograph, something? That'd be awesome. Oh, yeah, he's going to go ask him. Woo! So then Philip's like, he gets Andrew. I don't know why. He's like, hey, come here. Hey, these guys want to meet Jesus. We, okay, let's go. And so they go and they find Jesus. Hey, Jesus, there's some guys that come a long way. They're from Greece. They want to meet you. They're big fans. And so, uh, yeah, you want to meet him? Okay. A really simple request. He either says, yeah, that's fine. I'll meet him. Uh, hey, how you doing? How's it going? Yeah, I'm, I'm Jesus. I, yeah, you knew that. Okay, uh, yeah, I know your names too. Anyway, how y'all doing? Y'all doing okay? Y'all enjoying the party? Good, good. good. Yeah, man. Yeah, we can take a photograph. Awesome. Okay. All right. All right, come here. Philip, you didn't have the flash on. Put the flash on. All right. All right. Awesome. All right. All right. Good. Hey, nice to meet you. Hey, tag me in that photo when you get home. All right. Hey, good to see you guys. Hey, enjoy the party. Good to see you, right? It's a simple request. Hey, they want to meet you. Yes, I'd love to meet them, or I just don't have time. So they go to Jesus. (laughs) Verse 24. 23, I'm sorry. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, y'all didn't get that. That's funny. So, Philip and Andy, they come over like, hey, hey, there's some guys from Greece. They've come a long way. They'd really like to meet you. Maybe get an autograph or a photograph. What do you say, Jesus? And and Jesus goes, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I don't know if you heard us, but there's some guys from Greece, and they really want to meet you, man. And so, what do you say? And he the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's weird, right? He doesn't even address their question. He just, he just starts talking weird. That's weird, right? That's weird to me. <laughs> Don't you just wish you were Philip and Andy going, what in the world is happening right now? <laughs> Verse 24, Jesus continues, said, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel, a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. So, now they're getting an agriculture lesson. Like, what is happening right now? He's talking about wheat, right? So he says, listen, if a kernel of wheat, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. So he's saying, if, if you have a kernel of wheat, even if it's the greatest kernel of wheat in the history of kernel of wheat, if it's all by itself, that's all it will ever amount to is a single seed. But then he says there's another option. If it dies, he finishes in verse 24, it produces many seeds. So he says if the seed remains alone, that's all it will ever be, this one seed. But if it dies, if you put it into the ground and it dies, it will, because it's in the ground, then produce many, many seeds and thus live. And then he relates it to our lives. He said anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So he says, you show me a person, anyone who hates their life will lose. You show me a person who they're all about themselves. My decisions, my possessions, my life, my will, where I'm going, what I'm doing. And I'm going to show you somebody who at the end of their life has no life. But you show me somebody, and he uses very strong language here. He says, you show somebody who hates their life. If they hate their life and they give their life for me, they'll keep it for eternal life. He says something similar in Luke 9, 23 and 24. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple 
must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Die to themselves daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it, will keep it. And, and so he, he's, he's telling this. And at this point, if I'm, if I'm feeling Andy, I'm kind of leaning into the story a little bit because I'm like, okay, he's going somewhere with this. Meanwhile, there's these Greek guys. They really want to meet him. <laughs> They're just waiting. And so I'm, I'm pressing into the story going, he, he's going somewhere with this. What are you telling us? What are you teaching us, Jesus? If you hang on to your life, you're going to lose it? That doesn't mean you're going to die today. It just means that your life won't really ever count for anything. But if you will let that life die, if you will let that life die to yourself and your selfish desires, your selfish ambitions, your selfish will, your selfish motive, and you live for his will and his motive and his agenda and his purpose for your life, then you're going to have abundant life on earth, John 10. You'll have eternal life in heaven, John 3. He goes, that's the life that I'm talking about. You're going to have this amazing, awesome, God-filled, God-glorifying life. Verse 26. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now again, this is, this is where the story gets really good. At this point, I'm thinking Phil and Andy have completely forgotten about those Greek guys. And Jesus continues. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But Jesus is wrestling with this. He says, My soul is troubled, guys. Do you know what the next couple of days hold for me? Like, I, I'm, I'm having this great consternation. I'm 100% God, but I'm also 100% man. And in this moment, I'm kind of having a little bit of a man moment just by saying, my, my, I'm troubled by this because I know that in the next couple of days, I'm going to go through the most painful, excruciating instrument of torture known to mankind. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be beautiful. Nobody's going to be singing, oh, the wonderful cross. It's going to be miserable. And my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. There's a little bit of me. I'm thinking, hey, save me. Find another way to save mankind. I know that there's sin out there. I know we've got to deal with that. The wages of sin is death. Something has, someone has to die. Don't make it God. Send down your angels and rescue me. Figure out another plan. But then he goes, no. It's for this reason I came to this hour. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is the reason I'm here. This is the reason I came to the planet. 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners. I am here for this moment. So yeah, my soul's troubled and I want to say, uh, save me from this hour. No, it's for this reason I am here. It's for this reason I came to this hour. I don't have time to deal with Greek guys. I'm, God bless them, but I... I I'm wrestling with something bigger because I know the next few days are going to be very difficult for me. But this is the whole reason I'm here in the first place. And then he said four words. Now earlier, remember, he said in verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me. And that's really critical for us as disciples in 2018. He says, listen, this is where I'm going. And if you're going to follow me, you've got to go with me. Okay? Like I can't be over here and you're over there. Whoever serves me must follow me. Right? If, you, if you're going to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves too. Take up their cross too and follow me. Like this is, you've got to come over here with me. And then he spoke these four words, and they're four of the most powerful words you can ever speak over your own life. They're four of the most powerful words that Jesus ever spoke. Father, glorify 
your name. That was his final summation. He says, I'm going to go to the cross. This is why I'm here. And God, all that I ask, all that I ask is when they're driving those nails through my hands and my feet, that you would get glory. I asked somebody one time, I said, when you think about Jesus, you can do the same exercise. When you think about Jesus, like when you think about him, what do you think about him? Like, where do you see him? What's he doing? Where's he at? Like the mental image you have of Jesus. And this person, and this is what most people respond with, they said, I see him on the cross. That's interesting. Because he's not on the cross anymore. He's alive and throned on an everlasting throne. He came out of the grave. Did you hear that part of the story? Three days later, he came out of the grave and beat death and beat hell. But it's interesting that you said, how many with honesty said that was what you were thinking, the cross? I was thinking of him on the cross. A lot of people. Okay. So you're, 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 that's, that's more than average. And I said, but that's not where he is. But the thing that you thought about, when you think about anything in Jesus' life, healing a blind eye, unstopping a deaf ear, walking on water, turning water into wine, raising Lazarus from the dead, raising himself from the dead, of all the, as he currently exists in heaven, of all the pictures that you have of Jesus, the one that you thought of was him in his darkest hour? The worst day of his life? That's the one that came to mind? Think about it this way. If you were there at the foot of the cross, if you were there at the foot of the cross the day that he died, there was nobody singing His family and friends were completely distraught. In fact, it says a little bit later in John that the disciples were in a room with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders coming after them too. They weren't celebrating. They weren't high-fiving. Hey, this is the moment we've all been praying for. They're scared. They're nervous. They're sad. They're mourning. It was awful. If you were there at the foot of the cross the day that it happened, you would have a couple of thoughts. You'd say, well, God's a joke. And Jesus... (laughs) He's a joke. All of his promises are untrue. I have nothing to believe in, and this is the worst. I mean the worst. I've been following this guy for years. I've been listening to his teachings. I love this man, and this is the worst event in the history of humanity because the Messiah, who I thought it was the Messiah, is dead. That's what you'd say if you were at the foot of the cross that day with tears streaming down your face, going, why, God? Why are you allowing this to happen to your son? We don't have that perspective, do we? We see the same event. Nothing has changed 2,000 years later, and we say the exact opposite things. God is real. Jesus, you are real. Your promises are true. I have something very awesome to believe in, and that is the most beautiful thing in the history of humanity. It's so beautiful. I'm going to sing a song about the wonderful cross, the old rugged cross. It's the same event. Nothing changed except a little bit of time. And so I looked at this woman that I was telling the story to, and I said, I said, I'm thinking about the cross. And I said, again, of all the things in Jesus' life, the thing you thought about was his darkest hour. And maybe, just maybe, God was honoring the prayer of John 12, 28. Father, glorify your name, because I said, you could argue that nothing brought God more glory 
of anything in Jesus' life, then it's Jesus' death, his suffering. Why does God allow suffering? It's for the glory of God. Because God got more glory. And we've been celebrating that day as the greatest day ever since that day. But on that day, it was really, really difficult because, again, we have these, these horse race blinders on that we just we can't even see the horse beside us. We're just, we're so locked into life. And God said, I'm, I got this canvas I'm painting on. It's for God's glory. It's for God's story. I want you to hang with me. It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Why does God allow suffering? Isaiah 43, 7 says, Whomever is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You're created for God's glory. So 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. So we're created for His glory. We're supposed to live for His glory. John eleven four. it is for God's glory. The whole Lazarus sickness, it ended in death. It's for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. John 12, 28, I'm going to the cross, but God glorify your name. Two chapters before this mess, Roma, excuse me, uh, John chapter 9, remember they stumble across the disciples and Jesus stumbled across a blind man. And the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he be born blind? And Jesus says, neither. But it's for God's glory that God's power might be displayed in his life. And then he heals him. And the guy goes around celebrating, I'm healed. Now, he could have just been born without that impairment. But he goes, no, 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 no. No, this is for God's glory. Because now I can heal him. And how much more glory will God get if he's praising me after the miracle than if I just didn't have that suffering in the beginning? It's for God's glory. It's for God's glory. Miss Ann, if you'll help me. The Bible says in Revelation 1-6 that we are kings and priests. What do kings and priests have in common? They have to be anointed. And to have anointing, you have to have anointing oil. And if you use olive oil, you actually have to crush the olives to get the oil. And sometimes God allows us to be crushed in order to be anointed. And so the next time that you feel like you're being crushed by suffering, the next time you feel like that, I want you to think about it this way. God, it's an honor to be entrusted with this suffering. The God, it tells me a couple of things that what you see in me and what you want to pull out of me. In fact, Charles Spurgeon once said it this way, God gives his most difficult assignments to his most trusted soldiers. I'll leave you with this thought. You think about a caterpillar who breaks out of a cocoon and soars in flight as a new butterfly. Before the butterfly can take flight, there's a moment that happens inside the cocoon. Where, where the, the butterfly, the, the caterpillar has to break through before it grows its wings. If you were to take an X-Acto knife and cut open that cocoon, that butterfly would never fly. There has to be a breakthrough. There has to be a struggle before it could soar. There has to be a fight before the flight. And maybe God's the same way. God, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe life's good, but there'll be a day where you go, why? And I just want you to put this sermon in your pocket and pull it out and go, oh yeah. It's not about me. It's about him. And so God, if you can get glory from any of this mess, pray that for prayer.
four-word prayer. Father, glorify your name. In this decision I'm going to make, Father, glorify your name. In this trial that I'm going through, Father, glorify your name. In this cancer that I'm trying to fight, Father, glorify your name. In this death of someone gone too soon, Father, glorify your name. In this unemployment that I hate, Father, glorify your name. Whatever that trial or suffering that you are encountering, Father, glorify your name. And that is a prayer that God will always, always answer every single time. Because it's all about his glory. And just know that he loves you. And I'm just going to tack on to what Pastor preached recently, Romans 8, 28. It's also for your good. He says, I'm working for your good too. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not in some things, in most things, in bad things or good things, but in all things. And you talk to Lazarus, right? He was sick. And then he died. You're like, oh. But even in that thing, he goes, I'm I'm doing this for God's glory. But Lazarus, hang tight. I'm doing this for your good too. So Lazarus comes out of that tomb going, hey, I got a few more days, right? And isn't that the case most of the time? Right? When Jesus died on the cross, worst day of his life, but it's bringing about the best days of ours. It's for our good. Everything's for our good. Everything's for our good. So just, again, it's hard. Got to take off the blinders and go, God, okay, you're, you're up to something bigger. And so now when something bad happens to me, I just go, what are you up to? A few years ago, Pastor Casey and I were at a conference in Tennessee, in Nashville. We rented a car, and um, we, uh, I, I lost the key. <laughs> I lost the key to the car. And unfortunately, I lost the key to the car right before we were supposed to go to the airport. I know. And so I'm, I can't find it. I can't find it. So we're, we're like searching the hotel, turning the bed upside down. I've gone through my luggage 14 times, cannot find the key. So now we're calling Southwest. We're having to redirect our flights. I'm calling the rental car company. And they're like, oh, that's a special key. And to have that made, it's $250. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right? So we're waiting for the tow truck to show up to tow us back to Enterprise so that we can get a key made. No, we had to go to the dealership. The dealership had to form a new key. And, like, it's going to set us all back. And we're just, just laughing about it going, hey, glorify your name. <laughs> Maybe we're supposed to witness to the tow truck driver. I don't know what's going to happen. And uh, so Casey said, man, let, let, I, let's go. I'm going to get something to eat. Like, let's, let, let, me, let me get some lunch. And so he ran off to get some lunch. And while he was gone, I said, man, I'm just going to look one more time. One more time. So I opened up my bag. I've looked in there 473 times. But I take out all my clothes, and I'm just it's all on the concrete of this parking garage. And there's that blasted key. It's right there. It's there the whole time. I'm like, how? How has it been there the whole time? So he goes back. We had a good laugh about it. Um, anyway, we, uh, we get to the airport. And uh, God had a couple of choice encounters for us at the airport. We met some, some cool people and got to have some really amazing conversations. One of which, uh, we got to meet Mark Hall from Casting Crowns. He happened to be at the Nashville airport. And uh, I immediately recognized him, and I went up to him, and at the time I was a youth pastor, he used to be a youth pastor as well, and so, and man, he was so engaging, and just, I had a huge respect for Mark after that day, because he really, truly cared about us, and talked to us for a long time, and encouraged us, and lifted our spirits, and would never have met him, or the other amazing conversations we had that day. It's for my good. 
We didn't lead anybody to Jesus that day, but I just see that God, God's, again, painting on a bigger canvas. So when things happen, even the small things, where are my keys? You just go, hey, maybe I'm going to miss that accident. You know, it's okay. Father, glorify your name. Why don't you stand with me? All over the building. If you're in the house today, and you would say, a read that that was for me. Uh, I'm kind of going through something. I don't need to know what the something is. Uh, Matthew says that, uh, Matthew 6 says that God knows your needs before they even leave your lips. But I would just love to pray for you, if that's okay, as we dismiss tonight. Uh, that you would just raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm just kind of going through something. I got some suffering in my life. I've been asking that question all week. Why does God allow suffering? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, such a big question. But I hope that we've at least opened the book to the answer to that question. Why does God allow suffering? It is for your glory. It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Oftentimes it is so that we might believe. Or maybe that others around us that are in our circles of influence might believe that you are God that you are good. We trust your word. We trust your promises that in all things, in everything, that you are working for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose, but we also trust that you're getting the glory through it all. And so, Lord, allow us to shift our mindsets starting today, from this day forward, that we would shift our mindsets that when suffering happens, we wouldn't say, woe is me, but we say, oh, you are good. And glorify your name. And if you can get glory from this situation, from this decision, from this action, from this travesty, glorify your name. Glorify your name. And Lord, we know that is a prayer that you will always, always, always answer. Help us to see the canvas you're painting on that's way bigger than our story. It's your story of your glory and your fame and your renown. We want that name to reach the ends of the earth, to reach the people that we do life with in our own homes and businesses. God, you get the glory that they may see our good deeds. They may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. We ask this, believe this, and receive this in the name of Jesus. God, be with us as we leave now, as we depart this place. And God, we do pray for reprieve from the suffering. We pray that you would take it away, but God, that you would also just open our mindset so that we would learn what you want us to learn through the midst of the suffering. We ask all this in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.